The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On today's Court TV podcast, the men accused of killing jogger Ahmad Arbery were back in court and Court TV's Chanley Painter on the scene. She'll join me to tell us what transpired in and outside of the court. The entire case hangs on the cell phone video of the shooting, but could that video acquit one of the defendants? Criminal defense attorney Eklund Mercy returns to discuss that issue and we'll get into the Georgia hate crime law inspired by Arbery's death. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan. Great to have you aboard. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening and, and supporting. And, and please share it with a friend. So the George Floyd case is bigger than big. I mean, we are all standing right now in the shadow uh, of everything that has happened uh, as a result of the George Floyd case, which will become the George Floyd trial, which we'll cover on Court TV. But if you go back just a little bit before George Floyd, there was another story, another case that is as important, obviously, because you're talking about uh, loss of life. And it was a story and a case that shook the community because of the images that they saw. And I'm, and I'm talking about the case of Ahmad Arbery, uh, the young man from South Georgia who was, who was jogging through a neighborhood and is uh, followed and chased by a couple of pickups and eventually shot and killed. Now, no police involved in that one, so there's a difference uh, from that perspective, but there are um, the same emotions that run through the community for a story in a case like that. So this case is still happening. This trial is still happening. There are three defendants. They are charged with murder, and there was a huge court appearance. And Chanley Painter, Court TV legal correspondent, was on the ground for us at the courthouse covering all of it, and she joins us now. Chanley, welcome back. Hey, Vinny. How's it going? Okay. It's, 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 and I only say okay because we're not all together again. You know, I think things will be yeah. great when everyone can be together, but we're obviously all in our, in our own spaces still, um, you know, trying to protect ourselves and protect each other as best we can through all this. But you got to go down to the courthouse down in Glynn County, Georgia. Describe so for the folks who are listening, um, because now we're in the shadow of George Floyd. There's other stories, other cases, and, and this one uh, still important, but still moving forward in this world of, of COVID and everything else is happening. So what was it like down there? Right. Well, even though the defendants, all three, Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan appeared on video conference because of COVID-19 restrictions, the courthouse was still buzzing, Vinny. There was media from all over the nation. There were spectators, a lot of family members of Ahmaud Arbery, and not as many protests as we saw in the preliminary hearing in early June, but there were a handful of people out there with t-shirts and signs protesting while this hearing was taking place. And, and how did they handle things inside the courtroom? Because I'm always curious because each jurisdiction is doing things a little bit differently and depends on the nature of, of the hearing. So for this hearing, which was all about an arraignment and some motions that were filed and, and a bond issue, um, how, did they, how did they set it up? Who was where and what were the rules? 
Lots of precautions there at the courthouse. We all had to wear our mask when we entered the courthouse. They made sure that the courtroom, everyone sitting in there was six feet apart, enough room for social distancing. So that meant there was an overflow courtroom for the media and other spectators. That's where I was sitting watching the hearing in there, but you had to go through security. And it was just, it was very strict as far as who was allowed in the courtroom, only Ahmaud Arbery's family, the witnesses who were subpoenaed to testify, and of course the lawyers representing his family. Okay, let's get to um, uh, why everyone is there. And there's the arraignment of the McMichaels, which, you know, it is what it is. But to me, the hearing was all about the third defendant. Not the McMichaels, the ones with the guns, but Roddy Bryan, the one with the cell phone camera, the one who was trailing Ahmaud Arbery as he was shot and killed, at least at the end of what happened inside that neighborhood, Satilla Shores. So Kevin Goff, the the attorney, um, was talking about bond and uh, interesting comment that he made. Let's take let's take a listen to Kevin Goff here talking about um, how unfair it is for his client charged with murder to not get bond. Even in Georgia, murder defendants do get released on bond. Uh, we have two murder defendants, uh, one murder defendant and one putative murder defendant, if I understand the media reports correctly, in a shooting in Atlanta. They both got bond. Uh, a gentleman accused of an aggravated assault, as I understand it, during which the uh, alleged victim died, uh, that's felony murder under the same theory that's being pursued here. Our position is that justice shouldn't depend on what county you're in, what you, which prosecutor you have, and it certainly shouldn't depend on blue privilege as to whether you have a badge or not. Uh, the law shouldn't be a respecter of persons, uh, and our client is entitled to a bond. All right, so that's the, the gist of, of part of what Kevin Goff was saying. And he's, he's, he's referring to the Richard Brooks case, uh, Chanley, and in that case we have murder defendants who are out on bond. Right. And I actually interviewed Kevin Goff while I was in Brunswick, Georgia, and he brought this up. He tries to make comparisons even to the shootings of Rayshard Brooks and Ahmaud Arbery. And he says it's inherently unfair that they have bond and his client doesn't. He also wants to make an interesting distinction, which was that his client's charged with much less, even though his client is facing a nine count indictment, including murder, felony murder, false imprisonment, aggravated assault. But he's trying to make this argument. In fact, the whole hearing, he even called his son, Preston Bryan, to the stand to try to convince the judge that he wouldn't be a flight risk. He's not a danger to the community. And, you know, comparing to other cases, he should get a bond. Ultimately, the judge kept him in jail, didn't he? Kept him in. And one of the things prosecutors were talking about was Costa Rica, right? That he has some ties to Costa Rica. What yeah. ties does Roddy Bryan from Glynn County, Georgia, have to Costa Rica? Right. Well, uh, he doesn't even speak Spanish. That was asked of him, but he does have ties through an ex-wife who apparently lives in Costa Rica right now, remarried. But the prosecutor wanted to use that to show, hey, he has connections in another country. He could go there possibly. Uh, <laughs> all right. I, I like this prosecutor, by the way. I've covered other trials yes. that he's been a part of. He's really good. Uh, but yes, very good. How much? All right. So his argument was that his ex-wife, who was remarried to another man, would help him somehow escape the jurisdiction in the United States. That is a sitcom. You understand? That is the <laughs> plot for a sitcom where a, a, an ex-wife and her new husband take in their murder defendant ex-husband. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I couldn't imagine, but uh, I guess you put it out there because there is some connection, right? 
There is. And when his son Preston was on the stand, the prosecutor on cross did ask him, you know, when was the last time he visited somewhere out of country? Only four years ago. So it was pretty recent when he did go to Costa Rica or wherever, somewhere out of country. But yeah, the prosecutor wants, you know, he's going to say adios to America. If you let him out, judge, don't let him out. All right. So he, he didn't get out. And, and I don't think anyone thought he would necessarily get out. And another one of the reasons is because of the real headline. I buried the lead, folks. Sorry. Um, the big headline from the bond hearing for a murder defendant, Roddy Bryant, was what came out in terms of another investigation. Let's take a listen to the prosecutor here talking about the sex crimes investigation of Roddy Bryant. The sex crimes investigation came out of this investigation, but it's not a case that happened in Cobb County. It's not a case for which we've been appointed to handle any prosecution that could come out of the investigation. So other than that, and knowing that there's a victim as it relates to those charges, I'm not going to discuss that any further. Chanley, where on earth did this come from? I mean, I was, I said, what? Sex crimes? Not only did you bury the lead, but the prosecutor buried the lead. He waited till his closing argument towards the end of it and just threw it in there in a mix of this and that. And everyone sitting in the media overflow courtroom, we sort of just went, looked at each other. Did he just say that? What did he just say? Yeah, so it was something that took us aback. And of course, we wanted to know all about it. The GBI also tweeted about it, saying it was stemming from their investigation into Roddy Bryan from the Mott Arbery case. Somehow that led them into this sex crimes investigation from the GBI. My guess is it might be his phone, right? The same phone where he recorded the, the shooting might have had something in there. But what struck me is she said there's a victim. So this isn't a case of like downloading child pornography off of some dark website or something. No, there's, there's a, there's, they're talking about a real victim here. This, I mean, now you stack up felony murder and an investigation into a sex crimes there's no way he's getting out, number one. And number two, um, this is a huge problem. I don't I don't see him getting out, period. Oh, yeah, no way. And not only does he have the GBI investigation, Vinny, prosecutor also brought up the federal investigation against William Roddy Bryan into possible hate crimes. He went into the alleged racist, racist attitudes and Roddy's communications on that same phone where they apparently got these sex crimes allegations as well. Let me tell you, Roddy Bryan and his phone, I mean, that, it's got the video, it's got his uh, use of the N-word, and it may be linked to some alleged sex crime as well. I mean, and he's carrying it, it it's unreal. It, it, it's absolutely unreal. And this, I can't imagine that Kevin Goff knew, did he know about this ahead of time? You know, I asked him the day before the hearing, and he acted as if he didn't know when he Thing. But then when the prosecutor said that he received an email the day before, makes me think he knew. But I talked to Kevin after the hearing, and he alleges that he didn't know much about it at all. He was on his way to the jail right then after the hearing to talk with his client, Roddy, about it. Wow. Yeah, that case went from bad to worse uh, for him. Now, uh, something else that came up, and, and I, I began this whole podcast talking about George Floyd. And George Floyd made his way into the courtroom for this hearing as well. Uh, let's take a listen to uh, Lee Merritt, and he's a, uh, a great attorney representing the family, a uh, very powerful voice, talking about his face mask that he was wearing. Let's take a listen. 
I'm sure that he would like to move this case to a different time and place, maybe when America was great in his mind. Uh, George Floyd is an individual who suffered from police brutality. Uh, he's not a, a party to this case. Uh, wearing his name on my face, on my face mask, is, is in no way uh, a political statement. Uh, it's a distraction from the really serious nature of his defendants or his client's actions, which was the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. So uh, this is not a unique issue. It's unique because we're talking about face masks. But in courtrooms all the time, Chanley, and you've been around the country covering these cases, oftentimes victims, victims' families, victims' advocates and their attorneys um, will wear buttons, shirts, uh, things often referencing the victim or something related to the victim. Here it's George Floyd. So um, Kevin Goff objected to this. Uh, how did the judge handle it? And, and how do we think the judge will handle it going forward? It's a great point and a great question. And the judge basically said or echoed what the prosecutor argued, which was that this isn't a trial. There isn't a jury here that could be unduly influenced by looking out into the gallery and seeing names on people's face masks or T-shirts. And the judge ultimately said, look, I'm comfortable arraigning all three defendants and determining these emotions without being influenced by what's on someone's mask. What the judge didn't see was there were other masks in the courtroom that actually said hashtag justice for Ahmad or I run with Ahmad. Family members had on T-shirts. It's interesting Kevin Goff didn't actually bring up those masks and T-shirts that were visible in the courtroom. Yeah, that I think that's definitely more of a jury issue, and it'll be more of a hot button when we get to the trial. But the judge is the judge, and the judge can always disregard things, and they usually do, and they, they understand how to handle it. Chanley Painter, thank you so much. Traveling Thanks, the country, bringing us all the details. Thank you so much. Now, in this case, uh, we talked a, a bunch about Roddy Bryan. Um, there's a piece, the, the best piece of evidence for prosecutors in this case is, is the video, right? The video of the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery, the chasing and the video and, and the shooting by uh, the McMichaels, right? And, and, and from my perspective, for prosecutors, that is the best evidence against the McMichaels. It's incredible. I mean, it, it shows us almost everything we need to see, right? There's one little second where we don't see it. But unfortunately, what I believe is that that same video may be a very good piece of evidence for the third defendant, Roddy Bryant. Huh? Well, I'm going to explain what I mean, and then I'm going to have to defend it because we're bringing in Eklund Mercy, who, uh, as she often does, does not agree with me on this subject. So uh, we'll debate the big piece of evidence next. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. All right, folks. So this is the part of the podcast where there's an issue that I like to debate with someone, right? And you got to do battle. But to do battle, you got to get your game face on. So we're getting ready to do this, this segment, and I see my opponent, Eklund Mercy, great criminal defense attorney in Atlanta, in Atlanta, comes in wearing a New York Yankees shirt. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. The game on. 
So quickly, I run upstairs, and what do I put on? My New York Mets shirt. Because we're not Havlin. Eklund Mercy, join us. Eklund, great to see you. You too, Vinny. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? This is my house! And you're wearing Yankee stuff. I am unapologetically. Hello. How you doing? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I just hope that during our debate, I do better than the Mets do against the Yankees. That's all I'm hoping. All right. Let, and, and this is what we're going to talk about is this, the, the video. The video in the Ahmaud Arbery case is an amazing piece of evidence for the prosecution against the McMichaels because you see everything they do. Those are the two guys with the guns in the pickup, one of whom shoots and kills Ahmaud Arbery. But I think, unfortunately, it's a great piece of evidence for the man who is recording that video, Roddy Bryan. Eklund, you do not agree with me. No, I do not. You are wrong, Vinny. You are wrong. All right, Eklund. So I'm going to go first. And it starts here. And, and I say, unfortunately, and, and I want to preface that, folks. Uh, I'm not making an argument for Roddy Bryan. What I'm telling you is what's going to happen. And unfortunately, this is a great piece of evidence for Roddy Bryan, this video. And, and it comes down to the arguments that Kevin Goff, his attorney, can make. Look at the facts surrounding the video. The only person on the face of the earth who knows this video is being made and being recorded at the time it's being made and recorded is Roddy Bryan, okay? He's the only one that knows that this video exists. He's the only person on earth, okay? So if, in fact, prosecutors are going to argue that these three men are working as a lynch mob, are they going to argue that Roddy Bryan's job as, as part of this lynch mob is to corral Ahmad Arbery and make sure that you record the lynching so we can memorialize all of this? And, and don't forget how everyone finds out about the recording. Roddy Bryan, at the scene, invites police into his truck to view the video. So police show up. They're just investigating, trying to figure out what happens. And Roddy Bryan tells police, listen, I got, I've, I've, I've got it on video. I recorded it. Please take a look at it. It shows it to him right then and there. So, again, unfortunately, the argument that Kevin Goff can make is, ladies and gentlemen, let's go inside the head of Roddy Bryan. What, what's his intent here? Was his intent to lynch Ahmad Arbery? If so... Why would he record a crime, and then why, when police show up, the first thing he would do is hand over to police the evidence of the crime that he just committed? This goes 100% into the mindset of Roddy Bryan, and this is a, a strong argument that Kevin Goff can make to a jury, that why on earth would someone record their own crime, and then the first thing they do when police show up is hand the piece of evidence over to them. Eklund? Well, your argument was very compelling in the sense that it's you can tell that you're not racist by the argument that you have provided because we did not include the racist element. Roddy Bryant and the McMichaels were racist and they were on a racist tirade. That is why they went around. That is why they 
they have a video. As you can see, back in the day when they did lynchings, it wasn't private. They had videos and they made pictures of it because they were excited about what they did. We are in a world in which we have um, presidential rallies in which racist tirades are invited. So to to be to say that, hey, these men weren't emboldened would be wrong. They were emboldened. With regards to the facts surrounding the videos, let's talk about it. The facts surrounding the videos, let's talk about the video. When it was first provided, there was no audio. I don't know. I don't have that function in my recording in the sense in which I can record a video video and not have audio. You know who had that opportunity? Mr. Brian. We didn't hear the shock and the amazement of something that somebody was about to die. Why? Because that man participated. And then we missed the whole big piece of evidence. And that pieces of Ahmad Arbery was found on Mr. Brian's car. Pieces, that means that evidence of Mr. Arbery, that means that he hit Mr. Aubrey with his car to prevent him from moving. To say that he was unarmed is wrong. Mr. Robert, Mr. Brian had the biggest weapon at the time, which is a whole vehicle, a whole truck, with a whole truck that he didn't sway. He didn't have, that man was cool hand Luke because he was watching a murder. And nobody asked for the audio initially because it was a murder. You know who saw that? The cops. You had racist cops come to a racist situation. See the racism, say it's okay, hit him with a high five and let him live for three months without any interruption. To say that Mr. Bryant wasn't guilty is a farce. He was very much guilty. And then for three months, they watched that video. Him and McMiles, why? Because they were able to. They didn't stop being friends after Arbery was shot and killed. They were still friends. They still had the video. They watched it so much so that it opened the door to sexual crimes. The, this, this, this case should shock the conscience because the levels of racism in this case is unreasonable. We had three different prosecutors before we had this prosecutor who saw this and didn't think that this was a murder. We had officers at the scene who saw this and thought this was justified. So the, the, the Glen County racists went deep, but most importantly, that evidence of Arbery being on Roddy's car was still on his car three months after the incident. That man didn't even care to wash it off. So to say that the that that miss that the video helps Ryan, it totally doesn't work. I think that it implicates him the most. So the prosecutors are going to argue that Roddy Bryan was racist, which they can was in cahoots and knew the police would not charge him, which is why he shared the video with police and knew the pros- and shared it with the prosecutor because he knew the prosecutor would never charge him. Is is that? Do you think that is a an argument that is going to fly with the jury? And again, this I'm saying these are all unfortunate uh, uh, facts for prosecutors in this case, and and they're, the prosecutors are going to have to prosecute. Roddy Bryan, the McMichaels, the local Glynn County police, and the prosecutor's office, all in the same trial in order 
for that theory of, of yours to 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 not help um, Roddy Bryan. But welcome, welcome to the practicing law in the South. The the levels of racism is so apparent. Like Vinny, I live in the South. I have to think of Ahmad, Ahmad Arbery thing that I may get killed. Oh, I get that. I get that. But here, here's my point. My point is this makes that video, the fact that he shoots the video and there's more obstacles now for prosecutors, unfortunately, again. The, the, and to me, the obstacle is not only do I have to prosecute these three men, I've got to prosecute the local police and I've got to prosecute the local prosecutor. And guess what? I'm probably going to have to do it in Glynn County, Georgia. That makes the case more difficult. It's like it's like a um, it's it's like a Harper Lee novel. I mean, yeah. literally. But this is what it is in the South. We want to say that we've we've come we've come so far, but that's what it is, and that's how di- and that's how thick it is. That's how thick it is. I think we're agreeing here, Eklund. All right, let me, just hear me out, okay? Hear me out on my theory on why we're agreeing, okay? Because we're we're making two arguments that are um, not necessarily in conflict. Everything you're saying, I'm I'm agreeing with, right? I just have to get you to agree with the fact that the case is a little bit harder against Roddy Bryan with him shooting that video and handing it to police because now prosecutors have to take on the police and the prosecutors, right? So so can we agree on that? Yes, yes. All right. All right. I think we solved it. I think we did. Eklund, this is a, this is a big moment, but I will not ever, ever cheer for the Yankees, <laughs> especially when they play my Mets. That will never happen, Eklund. But I think we can agree here to a certain extent that the, the there's going to be some obstacles here. But I think what you have shown me and, and, and made me realize is how you look at the case. Uh, you know, I, I look at the case a certain way, but I have to get a different mentality on to 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 get to that next level. So, wow. Eklund, always great having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Go Yankees. <laughs> that will be her last time on the show, by the way. It, it, oh, either that or we can, we can edit that out next time. We'll just bleep it out. All right. Eklund Mercy, incredible criminal defense attorney uh, in Georgia, knows Georgia law inside out, and knows Georgia juries, which is the most important part. Of, of when you're trying to case. All right, when we come back, um, I want to talk about hate crimes because uh, at the time of the Ahmaud Arbery shooting, there was no hate crime law in Georgia and people were uh, besides themselves, coast to coast. But when you come back, I'm going to explain to you why it, it's really not a big deal, especially in this case, number one. And, and number two, hate crimes are way too overhyped by the media. We'll be right back. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. They should charge him with a hate crime. Have they charged him with a hate crime? Are they going to charge him with a hate crime? This is a hate crime. I mean, every time there is a case um, that somehow involves the race of the people involved or potentially involves the race of the people involved, everyone in the business I work in, which is the media, 
and, and some members of the public, because they're reacting to the media, are jumping up and down about hate crimes, hate crimes, hate crimes. And, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about hate crimes because um, they're not all they're cracked up to be, okay? When we hear it, it sounds like, yeah, he got charged with a hate crime. Okay. Well, in the Ahmad Arbery case, Georgia had no hate crime law on the books. That's because they had one, and it was ruled unconstitutional by the Georgia Supreme Court, so it was tossed, and then it was never rewritten. And recently they have done something to, to rectify that. But in the Ahmad Arbery case, these defendants, these men are charged with felony murder, okay? There is nothing more serious in Georgia law than felony. It is the potential of a death penalty sentence, which I don't think is going to be a death penalty case, but there's the potential for it. And it's life without the possibility of parole. It's the most serious charge. So the fact that there's no hate crime is completely irrelevant in Georgia as to what could happen to these defendants. They've already been charged with the most serious offense available. And, and what a hate crime is in most jurisdictions, because each state can write it however they want, but in most states, it's, it's what I call a criminal enhancer, okay? What it does is it'll take a crime and, and kick it up one degree, Okay, for, and, and every state does things a little bit differently, how they call it, the, the nomenclature, et cetera. But for, for argument's sake here, let's say you're charged with a third-degree crime, right? A third-degree assault, but prosecutors in that state are charging it as a hate crime. It would bump up to a second-degree assault, which, okay, yeah, it, gets, it definitely gets more serious. It gets enhanced. But that's all it is. Like, a, a hate crime is not like this big you know, huge charge that is just going to send someone away till the end of time. It's, it just enhances what prosecutors uh, can expose you to in terms of how many years, because it, it'll, it'll take a second degree, make it a first degree, a third degree, make it a second degree. Sometimes it takes a misdemeanor, makes it into a felony. And this is done in other parts of the law as well. For instance, down in the state of Florida, like if, if you commit certain offenses while wearing a mask, and by the way, everyone in Florida should, is supposed to be wearing a mask right now or is wearing a mask, it's, it's the same type of enhancer. It's the type of enhancement that they did with gun laws where like if you committed a crime, but you happen to have a gun with you, whether you used it or didn't use it, it would enhance the crime. And at the end of the day, what it really turns out being is a negotiating tool for prosecutors. So if, if it, if a third degree is charged as a hate crime, well, then you can offer as a plea deal to the defendant, plead guilty to the third degree crime. Otherwise, we go to trial and I'm and I'm going to try to convict you of a hate crime, which would expose you to a second degree crime. So it ends up being a negotiating tool for all those lesser charges. That's how it's used day in and day out, like every other enhancer, whether it's uh, having a gun, wearing a mask. Um, there, there are other uh, instances, but for the, for the day in and day out practice of criminal law in our criminal justice system, the hate crimes just make it easier to get people to plead guilty because you say, listen, I'm going to charge you with a hate crime. And then they plead guilty to the underlying crime. And, and yeah, it, it's a tool, but it's not this, like, it shouldn't be the first thing we're thinking about in a murder case. When someone has been shot and killed or someone has been lynched, 
Who cares about the hate crime aspect of it? I want them charged with murder because I want to send them away for life or perhaps subject them to the death penalty. And, and, the, and the hate crime doesn't really play in the equation. So for those of you who were worried about the Ahmaud Arbery case, that there was no hate crime on the books in Georgia, you wouldn't have done anything. It would have had no impact whatsoever on the case. Zero, zippo, nada, none. The only, and, and the other part of the hate crime that becomes a problem for prosecutors is when you're in the courtroom, because then you have to prove it. Hate crime is really proving the motivation for a crime, the motive, which prosecutors legally never have to prove. And, and one of the reasons that the laws have been set up that way, that the motive is never an element of the crime, because it is so difficult to prove. The legislatures across the country never wanted to put that burden on a prosecutor to try to get inside the head of every defendant and try to prove why they committed a crime. Why is irrelevant, except in the world of hate crimes, where it's, that's all it is about is why. So just know this, and, and, and I'm, I'm not disparaging hate crime laws. They're a very effective negotiating tool that help prosecutors resolve cases much quicker and, and get people sentenced and convicted quicker and easier. It's great. And maybe there's a general deterrence out there because we talk about it so much that it helps and deters people from committing crimes. And if that's the case, great. But at the end of the day, um, the, the hate crime is difficult to prove for prosecutors and is irrelevant for the most serious cases, which are the murder cases. So I just wanted you to know that. So you're not upset about uh, the fact that there is no hate crime there. And when the feds come in and they do their hate crime investigation, that's like the backup plan. That's like just in case the state uh, cannot convict these guys of murder, like in the Ahmaud Arbery case, there's a backup case that the feds will be having for hate crimes uh, so that they can uh, try that. But at the end of the day, murder case, you get the conviction. It is irrelevant. All right, folks, thank you so much uh, for listening to the Court TV podcast. We do it each and uh, every week, and we talk about the stories that we're talking about on television. Because Court TV, you notice the TV in the Court TV? That's because we're on TV. We are, uh, you know, digital antennas, coast to coast, city after city, town after town. So if you have a digital antenna, scan it and rescan it so you can pick up our signal and watch our program. I'm on every night from 8 to 11, taking you inside the world of crime and justice. And uh, I love it. I love what I do. Um, I would love you to watch our shows and continuing uh, to listen to our podcast. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.